podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. Boys and girls, two-footed podcast. Today is Wednesday. It's the 14th of June. It's a lovely sunny day. Hope you're all well. I am not. I have been annoyed. I am upset. Brendan Rogers is in advanced talks to take over as the new manager of Celtic. And I can't even begin to describe how much I hate this. Just when I thought I didn't have to put up with him anymore. He's going back. Just when I've really enjoyed the last couple of years with Ange, this fella's coming back. And Celtic fans are lying to themselves about how positive this is. Oh, he won 
two trebles and then left another one ready for Neil Lennon. Yeah, that's all well and good. He absolutely did. He also wasted a lot of money. He also was routinely embarrassed in Europe. And let's be honest, who did Celtic beat to win those trebles? Rangers were an abomination when he was there. They were embarrassingly poor until Gerard spent a load of money. Who else was he beaten? Hearts, Hibs, Aberdeen, St. Johnston. They were gift wrapped. Yes, he won trebles, and that's better than the managers before him did. That means he's better than Neil Lennon, who's not a good manager. Ronnie Delia, not a good manager. I mean, he's better than bad managers. That doesn't make him a good manager. And I've seen Celtic fans lying to themselves about what he did at Leicester. Here's what he did at Leicester. He bottled top four. Then he bottled top four again. Then he won the FA Cup. Then he went to Europe and got embarrassed in the group stage. Dropped into the Conference League. Dismissed the the competition as not knowing what it was. And the first decent team that Leicester played dumped them out. So yeah, you can say it was a semi-final. Look at who they beat to get there. And then he got them relegated. Oh, but he was under financial restrictions. Why was he under financial restrictions? Why were Leicester up against the wall for FFP? Because of him. The reason Leicester lost Yuri Tielemans on a free this season is because he refused to sell him. The reason they're getting half the fee from Addison is because he refused to sell them. He demanded that those players be kept. He wasted a bunch of money on players who weren't good enough. He insisted on new contracts for certain players, which pushed Leicester's wages to a completely unsustainable level. He did that. So the financial restrictions were his fault. But it's not like he wasn't allowed to sign anybody. He signed Woot Face. How did that work out? He went in January and spent $35 million on Christensen and Harry Souter. Christensen, a promising young left-back, when they already had a promising young left-back. Harry Souter, a big, slow, lumbering, championship-caliber centre-back, when they already had one in Yannick Vestergaard, who he had bought and quickly binned off, having realised he wasn't good enough. Yes, he plays attractive football. His teams are abysmal defensively. He thinks he's Pep Guardiola. That's what he thinks he is. But he's not. He won title races when they weren't title races. His Celtic team ran away with the league. Because there was no competition. It was easy for him up there. There was nobody to beat. If he hadn't won them, it would have been pretty embarrassing. 
Like, Rangers were awful. Awful. Beat Rangers 5-1. You know that's the sign of a really bad Rangers team. What happened in Europe that year? They lost to Lincoln Red Imps. Managed to get through an aggregate. Drew with Astana, who are awful. Managed to get through an aggregate. Lost to Hapoel Beersheva. Went through an aggregate. Just about. In the group stage, they got mauled. And we're very fortunate not to get mauled some more. If City had needed anything from that last game, that ends up 6 or 7 nil. City played a bunch of kids. Out they went, bottom of the group stage. Not even qualifying to drop into the Europa League. They didn't even play Rangers in either of the finals in his first year. It was Aberdeen both times. Yes, they went through Rangers, but again, it was a bad Rangers team. There was no competition to be had in the Scottish Premiership in the 16-17 season. And Celtic walked it. There were Rangers finished third that year. That's how bad Rangers were. Aberdeen finished second. No title race. The following season, Celtic dropped off significantly. Again, Rangers only finished third that year. Celtic only finished nine points clear of Aberdeen. Now, you could argue that Celtic took their foot off the gas and yada, 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 but that's not really the truth of it. There were poor results littered throughout that season. Scottish League Cup played Motherwell in the final. Didn't play Rangers in the competition that year. Scottish Cup played Motherwell in the final. Beat Rangers 4-0 in the semi-final. How about Europe? Got by Linfield. Scraped by Rosenberg. Scraped, well, didn't scrape by Astana. Hammered them at home, proving my point from the previous season that Astana were awful. Go into a group with PSG, Bayern. You don't expect to beat them. Anderlecht. They win one game away to Anderlecht, lose at home to Anderlecht, and drop into the Europa League, where they're immediately dumped out by Zenit St. Petersburg. And then this third season there, Rangers finally have... I don't know if I'd call them a real manager, but they've got money behind them. They're taking this shit seriously again. Celtic finish nine points clear of them. Rangers are starting to build something. Rodgers has disappeared midway through the season once the first Premier League club batted their eyes at him. But there was a lot of bad results before he left. And it was just fortunate that Rangers had quite a few bad results. Again, didn't beat Rangers in either cup competition that year. Beat Aberdeen in one final and Hearts in the other. What about Europe? Beat Alishkert from from Armenia. Beat Rosenberg and got dumped out the qualifying round by AEK Athens. Beat Sudova from Lithuania in the playoff round of the Europa League 
managed to get themselves out of the group stage, to be fair. Did get beaten by Salzburg twice and then lost to Valencia. Like, none of this is all that impressive, folks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, it's just not. And, like I say, at Leicester, he had two seasons where top four was wide open, where Leicester should have gotten top four. They were nailed on for the 1920 season and had one of the worst second halves to a season you'll see any team have. Second season, they're in Europe. How does Brendan do in Europe this year? We know he bottles things in the Premier League and misses out on top four. They win a group with Braga, Zoria Lunesk and AEK Athens, and then lose to Slavia Prague in the round of 32. The following season, they finish eighth in the league, so we're already seeing regression. There's a lot of losses. There's 14 losses in the league this season. Real worrying signs of how poor they are. Dumped out of the FA Cup by lower league opposition. Lose to Liverpool's kids in the EFL Cup. Finish third in a fairly average group in the Europa League. Go into the... Conference League, they beat Randers. They beat Wren missing half a team. They beat an average PSV. And the first decent team they play are Roma, who knocked them out. None of this is impressive, folks. I'm sorry. Just isn't. It just isn't. Yes, winning three trebles with Celtic sounds great. Context is vital here. Rangers were shambles. And no one else is capable of competing. The league is completely lopsided. Outside of Rangers and Celtic, every other team in Scotland over the last 35 years would struggle in League One south of the border. And both Rangers and Celtic, since probably the mid-90s, late 90s maybe, would struggle to get out of the championship. I think Celtic in the last couple of years probably would have gotten promoted. Rangers would have been a bottom half team. The season Gerrard won the league with Rangers obviously was weird because there was no fans there. But that season, maybe they could have gotten promoted, but Celtic were fairly awful that year. Like You're talking about a huge gulf between teams that would be middle to you know, middle to top half of the championship versus bottom half of League One. That's the gulf. Financially, talent-wise, infrastructure-wise, that's the gulf. Like, we've seen Hearts and Hibs, two of the biggest teams in Scotland, relegated in recent years. We've seen the Dundee clubs yo-yo. Like, there's, there's no competition. It's If Rangers aren't going to beat you, the league is won before a ball is kicked. And Rangers weren't going to beat them. Rangers were still trying to find their feet, having had to start a new football club. So Brandon's record comes with a number of asterisks. 
Then you factor in the fact that he's a dislikable person. His recruitment is poor. And the, the, the sniff of a job south of the border will have him flashing his knickers. He will be at Celtic only as long as it serves him to be at Celtic. Simple as that. Right, enough of them. Saw this, thought it looked fun. BBC got people to send in the best teams they've seen in their lifetime. So we'll start in the pre-80s. And these are just teams that random people sent in. So uh, Phil B sent in Chelsea 70-71. They won the Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, Peter Osgood was the star of that team. Uh, someone put in the Busby Babes. Johan Cruyff's Ajax in the 70s. Jock Steen's all-conquering 1967 Celtic team. Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest, which obviously won two league titles, having been promoted, sorry, won two champions, uh, European Cup titles. Got promoted, won a league, and then won back-to-back European Cups. It'll never happen again. Uh, West Brom, 1953-54. Won the FA Cup, just missed out on winning the league. 1968, Manchester United, European Cup winning side. Tottenham from 60 60 to 63, team that won the double under Bill Nicholson. Brazil of 82, often talked about as the best team that didn't win the World Cup. Don Revy's Leeds, outstanding team, went toe-to-toe with the best for a number of years, won major honours. The Dutch side in 74, then there's ones that are fun, like Northampton, 86 to 87. Like, it's great seeing fans of clubs in the lower leagues put in their, the best teams they've seen. Same as the West Brom ones, but obviously that was top flight. Uh, 1960, Real Madrid. Luis del Sol, Ferenc Puskas, Alfredo de Stefano, Francisco Gento. Sensational team. Uh, Wolves in the late 50s. Then from the 80s and 90s, we've got the treble winning United team. Rotherham, 1980-82. The Everton side of 84-85. Kevin Keegan's Newcastle. They were a lot of fun to watch. They just didn't win anything. Uh, Liverpool in 84. Tremendous team. Absolutely tremendous team. Norwich in the 90s, when they went into Europe and beat Bayern Munich. France from 98 to 2002. I'd say more France from 98 to 2000, because in 2002, uh, they were dreadful at the World Cup. Uh, Martello Lippi's 86-87 Juventus team were formidable. I I love that team. Um, Talking about Milan under Berlusconi has got me in the mood to deep dive on a bunch of Syria side. So you might just be getting that at different points this summer because um, it's just what interests me. Aberdeen of the 80s under Alex Ferguson. That was a great team. Won three league titles in four years. Won a European Cup winners' cup under the last team to beat Real Madrid in a European final. Ajax in 95. I've talked about that team recently. 
might maybe not on this podcast, it might have been the Daily Red, but it that was a great team. Dortmund in ninety seven was a very fun team. They'd won back to back league titles. They'd been the core of the German team that won the ninety six Euros. Marvellous team. Ipswich in eighty one under Bobby Robson. John Wark was the star man there. Another one of these that are fun, Alan Buckley's Grimsley, uh, sorry, Grimsby of 97-98. So I'm going to have a look into that team, that Rotherham team and the Northampton team at different points. Not Maybe not for this, just my own amusement. Uh, Aston Villa's European Cup winners of 82. Incredible. And then since the 2000s, um, The Spanish team of 08 to 10, I would say 08 to 12, considering they also won uh, another tournament in 2012. Pep's Barcelona, 08 to 2012. Man City, 22-23, laughable. Genuinely laughable, to be honest. Uh, Jupp Heinkes' 2013 Bayern. Leicester of 15-16. Now, look, when I say... Laughable. True total football. No, it's not. No, it's not. This is great, though. Pep has done... City have done what no other team has done, and that is to create a plan B. Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool struggled this season because of no plan B. No, they didn't. They struggled because they had no midfield. Barca, no plan B, as shown when Chelsea and Inter Milan stopped them from playing. No team has tried to do what Chelsea, who, by the way, Barca beat, and Inter Milan did. No team has done that. If a team does that, City do struggle. Pep can break teams down or be direct. It's just absolute nonsense. Anyway, uh, Mourinho's Chelsea, absolutely. Um, This year's Brighton from Trevor in Brighton, fair. Uh, Wales Euro 2016 team. I mean, certainly the best Welsh team ever. Uh, Arsenal's Invincibles, obviously. Plymouth this past season. Fantastic. And then Swansea in 2015. So that's fair. Right. I'm going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to go through Bournemouth and Brentford and what they might need this summer. And then we've got some news. Some transfers have been confirmed. We've got the gossip and we'll be done. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, we'll jump straight into Bournemouth, who, to their credit, what a season. I'm still stunned that they managed to stay up, I have to be honest. I wrote them off before a ball had been kicked, more fool me. I thought for certain once the whole shenanigans started with Scotty Twocoats, who who probably did play a big factor in my belief that they'd go down, because I just don't think he's a very good manager. Once he got sacked, and they appointed Gary O'Neill as an interim, and he was an interim for a long time, and the Change of ownership was going on. And speaking of the ownership, congratulations to uh, Bill Foley, whose ice hockey team, the Vegas Golden Knights, won the Stanley Cup last night, beating the Florida Panthers 4-1 in the best-of-seven series. 
an incredible achievement for them to win the Stanley Cup in only their sixth ever season. Uh, this was their second trip to the Stanley Cup. They actually got to the Stanley Cup finals in their first year, which is unheard of for an expansion team. And then back this year and won it all. Congrats to him. And it's a really good sign for Bournemouth because you can look at how they've built that team and that franchise up and how aggressive they've been. And, and you can look at what they did in January having taken over and you can see a really positive outlook for the future. They finished 15th in the league after a fairly awful first half of the season and a bad start back after uh, the World Cup. They were sitting in 19th, 20th at different points and looked for all intents and purposes that they were dead and buried. But they went big in January, they were aggressive in January and they managed to win enough games in the back half of the season to not just stay up, but stay up with weeks to spare and be quite comfortable about it. No cup runs really to speak of dumped out of the uh, FA Cup by Lower League Burnley, scraped past Norwich in the EFL Cup, managed to beat Everton, which was a big confidence booster for them, and then went out to Newcastle. Good business in January. Really, really good business in January. They bring in Oatara, who had games where he looked just incredible, uh, Simonio, Simonio from Bristol again looks looks a very good player. Zabarni, I think, is going to prove to be a brilliant signing. I think he's an outstanding centre back. And then the loans as well, Matthias Vigne and Hamad Traore. Now, I believe both of those are going to be kept. <clears throat> they had, I think, an obligation to buy on Hamad Traore and an option to buy. On Vigne, I'd be a little bit surprised if they didn't take up the option because I thought he was very good for them when he played. So looking at their squad and looking at what they might need this season. Neto took over from Travers. I'm not a huge Neto fan, but he had a good season. There's rumours that Travers could go on loan. If he does, they probably need to bring in another keeper. They'll have Darren Randolph there. That's fine as a third-choice keeper. But if if um, Mark Travers is going to leave, you need to bring in a backup. And potentially, you might want to look at a future starter because it may just be that Mark Travers isn't going to be good enough to be a Premier League keeper. Neto's only 33. Um, he signed a 12-month contract. I, I assume they're going to keep him. I assume they will keep him. I can't imagine that they'll... Well, unless he gets a better offer, in which case they'll have to buy a starter. But my assumption is they keep him. Right back is a problematic position. Fredericks isn't good enough. I I don't believe that Adam Smith is good enough at all either. So you want to add somebody there. Left back, they're well set in. You've got um, Zamora is a good option there. Vigne, assuming they keep him, of course. And then Lloyd Kelly can also play there. So that's another good option for them. Centre-backs, again, Lloyd Kelly. You've got 
the Argentine Sinisi, who, as the season went on, did get did get better. And then you've got Zabarni as well, who I think is going to be excellent for them. Um, not a big Jack Stacey fan. I think he's leaving this summer anyway. I think he's going to Norwich or somewhere. Um, Chris Metham, decent squad player, not much more than that. Don't think they'll be keeping Jack Stevens. So they could probably look to add one depth piece at centre-back. You have James Hill that you can bring in as back in as well. He's been on loan at Hearts. But I think adding a, a depth centre-back would be important. In midfield, now you've lost Jefferson Lerma, which is a big blow. You've got Lewis Cook. You've got Ryan Christie, Joe Rothwell. Hamid Traore can play in midfield. He's better as a 10 and Philip Billing. So I think a midfielder is definitely going to be high on the agenda. At least one in midfield will be needed. I think they're pretty set in attack. I don't think they need to do much. Maybe find, if they could find a goal scorer off the bench, like a reliable, experienced goal scorer off the bench, someone towards the end of the career, maybe someone who's been in other leagues and scored heavily and is just looking to cash in and, and make some Premier League money. But... I like a lot of the options. I think, I think obviously they'll have David Brooks for a full season next year. You'll have Otara for a full season next year. Tavernier hopefully will overcome the injury issues. Um, Traore plays in those attacking areas. Semenyo, Kiefer Moore, Jaden Anthony, and of course Dominic Solanke. So I think they're pretty good in the attacking areas. Maybe a goal scoring type off the bench, a poacher type. Maybe that's something they could look for. But other than that, I'd say sort your midfield out and get a right back. And then you just kind of fit in around the edges with depth. I don't know what to make of Gary O'Neill yet. He certainly did well this season. But at the same time, he was in charge for a number of poor runs. And when we look at his entire time, 37 games, only 11 wins, 6 draws, 20 defeats. That's not great. So he might just be one to keep an eye on. They might be one of the clubs who early in the season might be tempted into a managerial change because, like I said, these owners, they're ambitious and they're aggressive. And I don't think they'll stomach a bad start. I think they'd be the type who, in even late September, could be tempted to make a change. Um, We'll move on then to Brentford, who obviously had a fantastic season, finishing in ninth. And overcoming second season syndrome, it was not of concern to them. They were one of the hardest teams to beat in the league, only lost nine games in total. And if we look at the Premier League table, only Manchester City, Newcastle and Arsenal, all of whom finished in the top four, lost less games than Brentford. United and Liverpool lost the same amount. Defensively, they were quite strong. There wasn't quite enough goals. That's basically what cost them a spot in Europe. They missed out on Europe by two points. Now, they did have a superior goal difference to Villa. They did score more goals than Villa. But if you look at, say, Brighton, Brighton conceded seven goals more than them, but scored 14 more goals. And even though they lost three more times they still ended up with three more points because they were able to turn draws into wins. 
They had 14 draws this past season. Same as Newcastle for the most in the league. I love how Thomas Frank sets the team up. I love that they're versatile and how they can approach games. I like the fact that they're direct. I like the fact that they focus in on set pieces and maximizing opportunities from set pieces. I think if we look at that squad, there's a lot of talent there. We know that David David Raya is likely leaving. They have made a move already to bring in um, a new goalkeeper, which, as I said when it happened, I'm not a huge fan of the move in that I just, I don't see him as the type of goalkeeper that Brentford can turn around and sell in a year or two time if he does well. Mark Flecken is is a good goalkeeper, without question. He just doesn't really fit the profile of a Brentford buy. But maybe the per- the purpose is that they get him and they'll just run with him for the next four or five years. And they'll they're quite happy to do that. They know that it's consistency, it's cohesion, it's not someone they're gonna have to to worry about. He had put together back-to-back quality seasons for Freiburg. And that's a club that's run in a very similar manner to Brentford. And just as an example, if at any point Thomas Frank does leave Brentford, I wouldn't be at all surprised surprised if Christian Streich, who's the manager of Freiburg, is top of their list to replace him. Because the Freiburg model is quite similar to the Brentford model. Um, Thomas Strakosch is a good goalkeeper, and I think he'll get more opportunities next season than he got this past season. And they have young Matthew Cox, who's by all accounts very, very highly regarded, one they brought in from AFC Wimbledon in 2021. In defence, they've got Hickey and Rico Henry as the fullbacks. Both are excellent. Now, I would be looking for another fullback, preferably a specialist on the right side. Maybe that's Finn Stevens. I don't think so. Not now anyway. Because I'd like to see a specialist right back, Hickey as the guy that can play both sides, and Rico Henry is the specialist left back. And then between the three of them, you can split the games. There are 76 Premier League starts to be had between the two fullback spots. If, let's just say, you gave Henry 25, you gave the right back 25, and then you give Hickey the 13 at each. That's 26 for him. It balances itself out. Then they'll be fit and healthy. They'll be cup games. They'll get sub appearances. So they'll get their minutes but you might just be able to manage them a little bit better because Rico Henry has had some injury problems and we've seen Aaron Hickey this past season and when he was at Bologna have injury issues. I think they need to add at least one at centre-back. I do like Ayer, but he's frequently injured. Ethan Pinnock, to me, just isn't quite Premier League calibre. They've given him a new contract. He's very important there as a as a leader, as a presence, and that's absolutely fine. The same goes for Zanka. He's got a couple of years left. But again, they're a little bit past their best and they're a little bit shy of real Premier League calibre. 
Ben Mee is 33. He's got a year left. I'd be looking for a starter. Someone that can start next to me and next to Ayer and playing a three with both. That's basically what I'd be looking for. I don't think Sorensen is quite good enough to be your starter if you're Brentford. And I think Charlie Good is probably best suited to a, a championship or league one team. So right back and centre back is what I'd be looking for there. Midfield, I, I I think they're set. I don't think they should do anything. Norgard is excellent. Now, he does have some injury issues, so maybe you'd want to safeguard yourself. Jensen's very good. I think De Silva showed in the games he was fit for this year that he is a really talented player, so I'm expecting a big year from him next year. Onyeka is a very good squad player. Miles Perth-Harris is a very talented attacking midfielder that can play in their three. I expect Damsgaard to show a lot more next season. Then you've got Vitaly Janot, who's, I think, the best midfielder at the club. Shandon Baptiste, Mads Bidstrup, and um, Yarmoluk, the young Ukrainian midfielder they brought in. I, I don't think they need to do anything, really. Maybe look for a backup for Norgard. Janot can play the role, but then you don't have him in his preferred role. But other than that, I, I, I think leave it alone. And in attack, you've got Kevin Shade. We'll see a lot more from him next year. Keen Lewis Potter. We'll see a lot more from him next year. Brian and Bomo, Yon Wiesa, both very talented. And then Ivan Tony. Now Ivan Tony's going to miss half the season. They need they needed to find a backup for him anyway. It might just be worth going and getting a successor for him because he was going to leave at some point anyway. With respect, he's good enough to play for a bigger club. I think Victor Yorkerez of Coventry would fit really well into this team. And you could play him with Tony when Tony comes back. And then if Tony leaves in the summer of 2024, you have your replacement in-house. But I think they need to buy a striker. They need to buy an out-and-out nine who can be the first choice until Tony comes back, potentially play with Tony after he comes back, and then, again, replace him when Tony leaves at some point. Um, So, yeah, I would say right-back, centre-back, and striker. They're the three areas... I would be looking at for Brentford to improve this summer. I think there's a lot of talent in the squad. I think if you look at the players they brought in for this past season, Hickey, I think, will be even better next season. Lewis Potter should get far more opportunities and should show a lot more. Same with Damsgaard. And then the same with Kevin Shaddy, who obviously came in in January on loan with an obligation to buy. They've made that a permanent deal now. I expect all three of them to kick on. Lewis Potter, Damsgaard and Shadow. And that, in some respects, will be like having three new signings because they got very little from the three of them this season other than minutes played. And in Lewis Potter's case, they didn't even get a lot of minutes played. But he's very talented. And I think he can be a really important player for them moving forward. He was excellent in his, two, in his last two seasons at Hull. And it wouldn't surprise me if he 
really does kick on and make himself a starter by the end of next season. Wouldn't surprise me if him and Shade are the starting wide forwards by the end of the season. And if it's with someone like York Rez, I think that's the type of front three they can continue to build around. Um, so that, that's it. That's those two. That's Bournemouth. That is Brentford. Tomorrow we'll do Brighton and we'll do Chelsea. I'm a little bit unsure of how my week is working, so I, I should be here. I should be here, but if I'm not, you know you know why. Um, but yeah, Brighton and Chelsea is the plan. Tomorrow, if not, we'll do them Friday and then we'll just continue to run with, with two at a time. And then on the last day, we'll do the three promoted teams. I'm going to include the relegated teams as I do this because they obviously need uh, major work. I know I've done them to some extent, but I'm going to try and do them again uh, in more in depth. Um, we might as well do the, ne- the news. Jude Bellingham has been confirmed as Real Madrid's latest acquisition, 88.5 million with another 26.5 million in add-ons. Uh, massive contract, big signing bonus, big agent fees, big business, big, big business. Uh, he's now the second most expensive English footballer after Jack Grealish. It is just funny to me that Arsenal are about to spend more in terms of the upfront fee on Declan Rice, who's not as good and is four years older. But, you know, such is life. Uh, Brighton have also announced a new signing club record fee. Jeff, Jeff Pedro. This one was announced back in early May, but it has now been completed. I think it's a great signing. I really do. I, I think this is going to be so exciting for Brighton fans. If you have Evan Ferguson, Jeff Pedro, and um, Julio and Ciso as three options for the nine and ten spots, because Jeff can play both roles, I think that's super exciting. And they're all so young. Um, they've also announced the signing of James Milner uh, on a one-year contract from Liverpool, and it looks like Mo Dehoud should follow later in the week. West Ham apparently are on the brink of appointing St- Tim Steedten as their new sporting director. Uh, it's a great get for them. He is one of the best in Europe. Um, it's a surprising get for them. I, I did think a, a, a higher-profile club, more a... Champions League caliber club would be in for him. But no, uh, it looks like it will be West Ham. And to me, that is the signal of the end of the David Moyes era. Even if Moyes sticks around for next season, I I think that's the end because Moyes has always pushed back on a sporting director, has always insisted on appointing his own when he's been forced to have one. This is definitely not a David Moyes appointment. And this is a guy with real ambition and a real eye for players. So I can see West Ham's recruitment improving significantly moving forward. And I think I think this probably takes any possibility of James Ward-Prowse being a West Ham player off the table. Doesn't really fit what Tim Steed then does. If he does, if he does land there, it's because Moyes has been rewarded for winning the Europa Conference League. Uh, pick your England starting 11 to face Malta. Okay, so we'll do a bit of this. Goalkeepers. Um, well, my goalkeeper would have been Nick Pope, but Nick Pope was not in the squad because Nick Pope is injured. Um, of the three that are there, I don't like any of them, but I'll take Ramsdale over Pickford. Uh, right backs. Trent is the best right back in the squad by a country mile. 
Left backs, Luke Shaw is the only left back. Uh, centre backs, we're going to go with Mark Gwehi. It can't be Harry Maguire. I really, really don't want Tyron Mings. John Stones is probably still drunk, but a drunk John Stones is better than Tyron Mings, so we'll go with him. Uh, holding midfield, it'll be Rice. Right side of the midfield, I would be inclined to pick Ebery Chiesa. And then in the other midfield role, because it's Malta, I'm just going to go with James Madison, because I think you should batter them regardless. In attack, we're going to pick Saka one side, we're going to pick Foden the other, and through the middle will be Harry Kane. So there we go. There's that Take care of. You're welcome, Gareth Southgate. Uh, moving on. Gossip time. Manchester United are willing to sell Jadon Sancho, but while Aston Villa are keen on the 23-year-old, they do not want to pay the £60 million asking price. I just, I just don't believe that Villa are keen. And it's Steve Kay, and he's a spoofer, so let's just pass it on. Uh, Manchester United will lead the race to sign Kylian Mbappe. No, they won't. No, no, they just won't. And I saw Tariq Panja, I think, point out today, there only seems to be two pictures of this Sheik Jassim in existence. And one of them looks badly photoshopped. Some some big questions to be asked there. Uh, Chelsea are expected to register an interest in Mbappe. Of course they do. Of course they will. Real Madrid are keen to sign Mbappe, which will improve Tottenham's chances of keeping Harry Kane. I, I think Kane's best bet is Bayern anyway. Uh, Kane's representatives have also met PSG's officials. I wonder if PSG getting Kane would help them keep Mbappe. Because he's exactly the type of nine that would get the very best out of Mbappe. Imagine, like, Son is amazing. Uh, but look at what Kane and Son have done together. Imagine what Kane and Mbappe would do. Manchester City are waiting to see if Ilkay Gundogan and Bernardo Silva will remain at the club before finalising their summer transfer plans. That's nonsense. Their plans have been finalised months ago. Barcelona are tracking Villarreal's Spanish midfielder Alex Baena as an alternative to Gundogan. That would be an odd move. He's a different type of midfielder, very different type of midfielder, um, and doesn't bring doesn't bring the same type of intangibles. Arsenal have no plans to reintegrate Nicola Pepe into their squad and want to offload him this summer. This falls in line with what I've said. I think they're going to end up terminating his contract. They paid £72 million for him. And if I'm not mistaken, he's still got two years left on his deal. No, he's only got one year left on his deal. Oh, he signed in 2019. Yeah, yeah. Under under Emery. One year left on his deal. He's probably on 160. Eight million to pay him to go away. That's probably what they'll do. It, it goes down in the books as one of the worst transfers ever. But... Look, these things happen. West Ham will target Eunice Musa as a replacement for Declan Rice. I think they should target Eunice Musa for sure, but not as a replacement for Rice, just as one of multiple midfielders they need to bring in. 
Romelu Lukaku has been offered a deal worth up to 20 million a year by Al Halil. I'm sure he's probably insulted by that, given what they're playing, paying other players. Aston Villa and Wolves are interested in Manu Kone, who's also been linked with Liverpool. Tottenham are close to green personal terms with David Rea, yada, yada, yada. Fee is too high, yada, yada. Who cares? Move on. Uh, Tottenham, my Manchester United, yada, yada. David Rea, fee too high, blah, blah, blah. Inter Miami face competition from Atletico Madrid, Inter Milan, and clubs in Saudi Arabia for Jordi Alba. I, I, I think that's probably just his agent trying to talk it up. Coventry are interested in Chelsea's 20 year old. English defender Bashir Humphreys. Bashir Humphreys is really, really good. Really, really promising. And part of the reason I think they might be open to letting Colwell go is Bashir Humphreys. They're, I think Bashir might be a little bit older than Colwell, but they're similar players. Colwell's definitely the higher potential, but they've got Badi Ashile. Now, Humphreys is very, very good in his own right. Uh, he went on loan to Paderborn for the second half of the season, actually went and learned German while he was there and excelled. He is another left-footed centre-back. They're losing, is it Tommy Doyle or Callum Doyle? Whichever Doyle they had from, I think it's Callum Doyle as the defender, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Callum Doyle as the defender. He was on, on loan to Coventry from City probably isn't going back to championship for the loan. I think a Premier League loan is, or, or a loan abroad is more likely. So that will leave Coventry with a hole. And Bashir Humphreys is a really good, a really good uh, target to fix that. Right. That is basically, is there anything worthwhile in the Scottish gossip other than Brendan Rogers? Uh, Leeds have launched an 11th hour attempt to hijack. Nah. No, they haven't. Sam Lammer to Rangers. Rangers want Jonathan Panzo. Rangers could sell Antonio Colac. That'd be odd considering he bought him last summer, but I suppose Michael Beale wants to do his thing. Sevilla leading the race for Alfredo Morales. Uh, Rangers opening contract talks with Borna Barisic. Malik Thielman could end up in the Premier League. And there's a bit of a Kieran Tierney potentially going to uh, Newcastle. Potentially not going to Newcastle, as it is because of financial fair play. Liverpool winger Harvey Blair is a potential target for Aberdeen and Kilmarnock. Um, yada, yada, yada. Will Fish of, um, of Manchester United, the young centre-back, potentially going to Hibs on a permanent deal. And former Rangers chairman Dave King has backed the current board and vociferously dismissed wild speculation he could perform a partnership with the Easdale brothers to buy the club. Okay, well, no one cares. Uh, Right, that'll do me for today, folks. Thanks, as always. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.